Hello everyone this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn Educate Discover. On this podcast we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes how do they go about exploring it further. On today's show we are going to be talking about sales and marketing consulting. And in very simple terms, sales and marketing consulting is helping a client such as a company with any of their sales and marketing related activities. So as an example, let's say there's a pharmaceutical company that has come out with a new medicine and they are trying to understand what can they do to maximize the amount of revenue that they generate from that medicine. then in such a situation they might decide to hire a sales and marketing consultant and then the consultant will help them figure out things such as what should be the price of the medicine when they launch it in what country should they launch the medicine what should the promotional campaign of that medicine look like things like that so that's a very sort of rough introduction to sales and marketing consulting and to really help us understand this area in a lot of detail our guest on today's show is Nikhila Jayaprakash and she works with a boutique consulting firm called ZS Associates and this company specializes in sales and marketing consulting nikhila has been working with them for more than 7 years now so she has a lot of experience in the space and during her career in sales and marketing consulting nikhila has worked primarily with biotech and healthcare companies and she has worked on a variety of projects including new product launches new promotional campaigns brand messaging testing salesforce effectiveness and things like that in terms of her educational background nikhila has a masters in technology in biotech from indian institute of technology madras which is one of the leading engineering institutions in india and a very interesting tidbit about nikhila is that she is a member of mensa and mensa for those of you who aren't familiar is the largest and oldest high iq society in the world and in order to become a member of mensa you have to score at least at the 98th percentile or higher on their standardized supervised iq test so nikhila scored at the 99th percentile on their iq test and uh so she's a member of mensa and clearly we have a very intelligent guest on our show today So I really hope you enjoy today's discussion with Nikhila. Quick note before we get into the discussion, I have a little bit of a cold and so I might sound weirder than usual in the discussion but it really was a choice between not recording an episode at all versus recording something sharing great content but where I sound a little bit weirder than usual and so I thought it was more important to share the content. So anyway, I hope you find today's discussion helpful. and without further ado let's welcome nikhila to the show hey nikhila how hi sonali hi how are you thank you for I'm joining good. us so you are a member of mensa congratulations that's amazing thank you so if you don't mind my asking how much was your iq when you tested so as you correctly said it I did score at 99 percentile the cutoff was 98 mm-hmm. I believe that translates into something in the range of 140 145 Oh my god okay it, you know I I haven't done any research on this but from what I understand when you get into that range 
you're sort of touching the genius level. Oh, I think there's a few more numbers to go for me to hit there, but frankly, I just enjoy problem solving and mm. puzzles, and that's just what drew me to Mensa. So that's really cool, man. So when did you take this test, and how did you even learn about Mensa? So Mensa has been on my radar for a very long time. I, as I said, I just love puzzle solving, and I've been doing that ever since I was a kid. So. Uh, Mensa used to keep cropping up in different spaces as I would try these puzzles. Eventually, about now, let's say it's probably been four or five years. Mm-hmm. I actively sought out how do I take this test and qualify and see if I qualify. And I looked up their site. They have chapters all over the world in most major cities, and they have a schedule for these tests. So I just went on there, found the closest test to me, signed up for it, and showed up. And that was pretty much it. I got a score in the post, and I became a member as soon as I paid the membership fee. Interesting, very interesting. So you have to actually go to a center to take the test. Yes, yes. Okay. I don't believe, and I don't know if it's changed since I took it, but I don't think you can take it online. Okay. All right. All right. So I guess uh, I'm going to try my best to not sound very stupid in oh. front of you. <laughs> no, but... I, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, but and I'm guessing you don't have to be super, super intelligent to be doing sales and marketing consulting, right? Yes. No, I think there's certain skill sets which are great to have. And mm-hmm. I'm happy to share more as we talk about sales and marketing consulting. No, absolutely. So why don't we start out with you telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey so far? Sure. So, as you mentioned, I am a business consultant in ZS Associates. Been with ZS now over seven years. I can't believe it's been that long. Mm-hmm. I joined ZS straight out of undergrad and grad school, where I did my bachelor's and master's in biotechnology. And it's good to start from there because ZS Associates does a lot of healthcare consulting, so sales and marketing consulting for healthcare companies, which is. Anything from medical devices, pharmaceutical companies, biotech companies, all of that falls in this space. Mm-hmm. And so um, I didn't know much about consulting when I started at IIT and I did my degrees and I probably didn't know it in my very last year of school, frankly. But over the course of my five years, I was trying to figure out, do I really want to pursue biotechnology longer term which means that i would have had to have done a phd at, at the very least a masters probably outside of india where i had done my schooling and so i did so many internships i think starting my second year i was doing internships in all sort of spaces within biotech to figure out yes can i survive a phd is that something i want to do you know study for the next 5 to 7 years and what would that be in and over the course of that i realized well i'm not sure phd is the right fit for me it meant a lot of time in labs a lot of time focusing on one topic for a long time and for me i needed a variety of different problems and challenges to solve and so that led me to by my fifth year i said you know what i'm just going to drop this idea of a phd and take up a job and somewhere along the way as i was searching for jobs yes came up and it was the perfect fit because it was consulting which i knew would be a good experience it would be challenging mm-hmm. although i was naive and i didn't know much more at that point <laughs> um and it was also in the healthcare space so i felt like i could use some of my biotechnology background when i joined zs oh interesting so so what you're saying is that 
generally if you're studying biotech the typical career path is to do a phd and you sort of contemplated that for some time but then you finally figured out that that wasn't the right path for you and then you decided to get into consulting yes okay. exactly so uh, you know this is this is very interesting so i do want to understand sort of the different flavors of consulting and how sales and marketing consulting is different but before we touch on that why don't you first describe for us what is sales and marketing consulting sure uh, and i think you did a great job of covering that already but i can add on to it and maybe with some more examples mm-hmm. essentially what we're doing with our clients is helping them with all aspects of sales and marketing for the products that they have in this case because i work in healthcare it's therapies medications for patients in different disease states and so it could involve every anything and everything from what's the right price for this product when we launch to who are the right physicians who should be prescribing this product and knowing who might prescribe more versus less to even estimating well how much of this product is actually going to sell we need to make sure we manufacture enough product and we need to estimate revenues for the longer term even as far as 30 years out and mm-hmm. so that's just a flavor of all the different kinds of questions our clients come to us when they say okay we have a marketing problem or oh we have this new product we have to set up a new sales force to call on all these physicians out there and help them learn more about this new product in the market and so is that 100 new sales reps that we need to hire or is that like 50 more and we make do with what we have so those are some of the kinds of questions that come up i feel like that is a better way to wrap your head around what sales and marketing consulting right you know as you were talking about this i thought that it might be also interesting to touch upon you know in very simple terms how would you describe the difference between sales and marketing hmm interesting question i don't think i've ever gotten that from someone before but um at the heart of it marketing is what you're trying to do to promote the product it could be to various levels of customers in the healthcare space it could be physicians who are prescribing it or even nurses who interact with the product they're helping patients get on the product and you know go through the journey of treatment to eventual customers like patients even you know things like oh, the counter allergy medications you do see ads on tv there's a lot of thinking into how to market that appropriately to patients so they understand if it makes sense for them whereas on the other hand sales is a lot of how do you actually tactically promote using a sales force for the most part in healthcare and a lot of these healthcare companies have fairly large sales forces pretty sophisticated sales forces because they need to be able to talk to a physician and speak the same language i, I think i gave you a fairly long answer to no. what's the no, basic difference between the two no this is helpful i think what you're saying is that marketing is sort of higher up in the funnel where you're more creating awareness about the product across all consumers quote unquote whether it's your physician or whether it's your nurse whether it's your patient and this is of course speaking in the healthcare industry um and sales is more about actually making the sale and generating revenue where you're uh, dealing primarily with your sales force and the people who would actually buy whatever equipment the company is selling yes that's a great recap in fact interestingly enough the way i've also heard this being described by clients and even in my firm is you know marketing is trying to think through strategies on how to best 
market or share more details about this product and their eventual client you could always call is sales because sales going to take what marketing tells them to do and then figure it out and make the sale happen right 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 that makes sense okay so i'm sure that at the time of recruiting you may have had the option of joining a sales and marketing consulting firm like you did and then there's also the more sort of broader management consulting firms right so right. how would you compare these two so there are a lot of similarities first of all at the end of the day the work that we do is like traditional management consulting it's just that there is a focus on sales and marketing and for me in particular a focus on healthcare but there are some differences as well for me what i find is different is in order to be able to do an effective sales and marketing project or engagement it's not about talking to the c suite as you might do in a broader strategy project within management consulting it involves talking to specific team leads or roles in functional groups as they're oh, called so it might be the marketing director or a couple of their reports to make this happen or to understand their needs or the business questions they are trying to answer and then translate that into a project versus talking to the mm-hmm. c suite to make some really big broad transformation mm-hmm. strategy right that's a great point okay so th- that that makes a lot of sense because the counterparts that you're working with at the client are going to differ quite a bit between management consulting and sales and marketing consulting okay yes yes are there any other differences the other differences are more a function of the space that you operate in and when i say space you could address sales and marketing through many different ways one way to look at it is maybe they need a technology solution maybe they need some sort of operations solution maybe they need a general consulting solution mm-hmm. so when you think about it in terms of those verticals then you might be interfacing with very different people in the organization and the kinds of skill sets that you need and the tools you use will be very different just thinking about technology versus consulting Right. Yeah. So maybe at this point, it'll be helpful if you can maybe share an example of a project that you worked on and that stands out in your mind. Oh, sure. There's there's many um, mm-hmm. that I remember fondly, although at that time it may have been really intense. <laughs> um, I, I like to talk a little bit more about one project that we did almost two years ago. Uh-huh. And as part of that, this was for a very mature brand. And when I say mature, this product had been out there for patients for I want to say almost 15 years plus and the team was trying to figure out well we have limited resources it's not like they're going to put tons of money behind this brand when they have a portfolio of other brands to also share these resources among so they wanted to answer what are the top drivers or top things that we should be doing for this brand over the course of the next few years to keep driving revenue So quick quick clarification when you say brand so what kind of company was this Oh it was a pharmaceutical company so okay. when i say brand i mean medication or a therapy I see so there's just medicines Yes exactly okay. but wearing a marketing or sales hat it's a brand and there's a brand team that's thinking about it which is essentially the marketing team Got it got it okay all right So uh, carry on you you were saying that you had to figure out how to maximize the revenue was that the question maximize the revenue and they had taken it a step further to say 
we know there are many drivers or barriers we could mitigate with some effort from our side but which one should we really focus on we can't deal with all 20 or 30 drivers right. out there right. it was pretty much a prioritization exercise but also they want to know if we focus on say the top 3 then how much will our revenue increase over I the see. next couple of years i see That's that's very interesting. So, can you walk us through? And I know you can't share examples of from your real project. So maybe you can take a hypothetical name of a medicine or something. But it will be really interesting if you can walk us through that. If given that kind of a problem where you have to figure out the revenue drivers for a particular medicine, how would that project go from beginning to end? So, how would you sort of break down that problem and what will be the different things that you would work on as the project would go from beginning to end? Right, right. So I may not need to recite a hypothetical product name, but definitely all this is blinded. The way we started the project is we sat down with the marketing lead as well as some other functional group leads. And when I say functional group, this is marketing usually has additional support that they have alongside. They could be folks who do a lot of primary research, like they collect primary data, which means. they might run surveys in order to collect data directly from physicians or patients if there is a gap in other data sets they have there may be folks who are supporting marketing who are collecting secondary data and the reason i want to explain this is these people are very key and critical in any sort of healthcare consulting sales and marketing engagement that i've seen the folks who actually get us the data because that's what we make decisions on and they are they are a part of the consulting firm uh, so no these are the folks who are sitting on the client side so they're part of the pharmaceutical company okay but we would interface heavily with them and we will even sometimes help them in collecting this data or analyzing this data as part of the overall project i see so can you share the kind of data that you would collect in this sort of a project so the kind of data you would like to collect in this case we thought about drivers so there was just part of this project was just understanding well what are those drivers that was less about data collection but i can walk you through that phase 1 mm-hmm. and then i can get to how data collection worked okay for the rest of the project mm-hmm. so phase 1 was just even understanding what the drivers are at this moment in the market so we sat down with a core team which was marketing which was some of these other groups who do market research work collecting all this data and we brainstorm with them so what are the drivers right now do you have sources or past work that you've done that can help inform this which eventually with some iterations with the team we were able to come up with a list and we conducted a workshop with a broader set of folks from that team and had them really pressure test well if you look at all these drivers what do you think is more going to be most important what's the easiest to influence mm-hmm. a fairly straightforward prioritization exercise and then we were able to walk away with the whole team feeling aligned on yes these are the three big things we should focus on but let's also see now what does this mean in terms of revenue over the next few years and that's mm-hmm. where we need the data so, so that takes us to phase 2 <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So, uh, I think uh, just just to add more flavor to the description, can you share the kind of drivers that you might have found in these discussions? Sure. Sure. I can share broadly what the drivers were. I think one key thing that we identified was just how some of these um, physician offices were set up. Mm-hmm. Like they need to have certain protocols or guidelines in place to be able to use 
our particular brand or therapy with their patients. And if they didn't have like what you could call almost best in class or the most ideal set of guidelines, then, you know, their treatment of these patients is not going to be as ideal as we'd like. There'll be gaps and eventually the patient who should have gotten the treatment might not get it as you would have hoped. I see. Okay. And, and anything else like major drivers that you may have come across? So a couple were related to these almost different infrastructure pieces. Um, and the second thing was actually to do with the training that the office healthcare practitioners, this could involve mm-hmm. like nurses as well as physicians, anyone who's touching the patient, again, relates almost to you need to have the right infrastructure in place, but also they need to be trained right and can maintain that training because nurses can rapidly change in a hospital. Large hospitals have a lot of nurses. There's a lot of turnover. There are a lot of part-time staff. And it's very hard to ensure, like, can you make sure a thousand nurses get the training on this one therapy out of so many different therapies that they're giving to their patients? I see. I see. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So in, in phase one, you're basically sitting down with all of these people at the client side. And through those discussions, you're identifying all of these drivers that could have an impact on the revenue. Exactly, exactly. So it took a lot of time to just even formulate it and get it right. And everyone felt like, yes, this is the key driver right now. And then have everyone also align on which are the top three amongst this list of 15 to 20. I see. Okay. So we took that information here, the prioritized drivers, and then we tried to see Well, how do we go about figuring out a number as far as revenue goes? If you move the needle on this, how much will your revenue actually change? And so what we did then was to decide what data sets were there internally. So we then talked to these functional group leads, as I talked about. Their core role involves market research or primary research. They collect primary data, which is really important and key in the healthcare space. And I'll explain why. Mm -hmm. The second piece is around secondary data. So there are data sets out there that covers, you know, scripts for these therapies, as well as like almost patient level data. Every time a patient gets insurance approvals for certain drugs and therapies, then that data is also captured in a blinded way. Mm -hmm. But you can get a sense of, you know, how many prescriptions are being written for drugs and therapies out there. So that's secondary data. So those are all some very rich data sources that you can play with and use to inform questions like this from clients. And you'll find people in charge of this data in pretty much every pharmaceutical company out there. And so which means that we as a healthcare (laughs) consulting firm have people who really know how to handle this data really well. I see. Okay. So you would use this data to figure out that, okay, now that I have these drivers in place, now I want to figure out which drivers have the most impact on the revenue. And you would use this data to determine that. Yes. So the way we did this is then we got some data for each of these hospitals or physician offices. We knew how much our current brand had in terms of sales. You could literally map it to each account as you would call it. Mm -hmm. And then, well, Besides that, now we know how much sales is happening, but then how do we know about these drivers and how do we map that to each account and say, well, probably if that driver is in place, that they have the right infrastructure in place, then that's why their sales are more or not, was not something readily available. And so therefore, that's where the primary research or the market research comes in. 
Um, in this case, we didn't go to the physicians themselves to ask. What we did is we went to the sales force instead because the sales force calls on a lot of these offices all the time. And they know enough about these offices because they're interacting with physicians and, you know, the front desk or the reception, nurses, everyone. So they can tell you if, yes, you know, they have the right infrastructure or no, they're, they're terrible infrastructure. They have nothing of the sort, no protocols in place. And so we actually sent a survey out to the sales reps to fill out and tell us, okay, yes, these drivers are really present or not and we were able to build a model to see yes when this is present in an account this is how the sales look like and therefore you can expect if you move an account from state a to state b where it improves on one of these drivers you can expect your revenue to grow by this amount i see i see i see and when you say model you mean like an excel model Yes, a fairly simplistic, although I think eventually we did um, end up using some more advanced modeling techniques, So, which is where it's great to be in a consulting firm. You can always pull in the right experts to help you okay. when needed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So, so that means that by the end of phase two, you have figured out not only the prioritized list of drivers, but also how much impact each of them has on the revenue. Exactly. Okay. And so then after this, you would just uh, share these results with your client. Right. Uh, but it's in any consulting engagement, as we try to do, it's not more just at the end. So we had a core team that we would keep meeting with fairly regularly just so that they understand how the results are evolving. Do they agree with some of the assumptions we're making as we're coming up with our model? So that at the end of the day, you know, they've almost come along with us in the journey of the result. I see, I see. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. How long do you think this project may have lasted? Something like this. Uh, it was in the ballpark of four months to five months. Four it months was to five months. Okay. relatively long by um, our standards. A typical project that we do is closer to three months on average. Okay, okay. And in such kind of projects, if you were to think about your time and the kind of activities that you spend your time on, so for example talking to your client and gathering this data is one kind of activity and doing this analysis is another kind of activity. How would you split up your time on these various activities through a project? Hmm. Interesting. I'm thinking about <laughs> how it evolved over the course of the project. I will say my time was very much focused on talking with the client and making sure we understood what their business questions are, what their needs are. Mm-hmm. At the start and over the course of the project, probably like weekly touch points that we would have to discuss not only with our immediate client contacts or the core team, as I called it, but also a little more broadly as we socialized. And then my involvement in the analysis was relatively lower in the sense that I had a team of an associate and two associate consultants who are actually thinking more about the problem and the model. So they would be the ones to take a first pass at, all right, we tried this, this iteration made sense to us out of the 10 iterations we tried, what are your reactions to it? And then we would brainstorm and whiteboard if we want to tweak what we, what they came up with. Okay, yeah, so actually, this is a good segue into discussing then how are generally the teams structured? And what are the typical roles? in a sales and marketing consulting firm and the, the things that each of these different levels work on. Right. So this is where I guess the similarity 
between sales and marketing consulting and general management consulting comes the roles as far as yes goes and other similar firms is pretty much the same we have associate associate consultant consultant manager associate principal or partner and then principal or partner so there's like six levels i just listed okay. uh, which belong in the consulting technology operations space that we work in mm-hmm. um i can describe more on how these roles work and in a typical project yeah. you would almost always have an associate who does a lot of the data analysis who spends the most time on that project like that's either their entire time is that project or maybe they are spending time on two smaller projects but they are the ones in the weeds as far as the data goes they know the analysis tools um they are the ones also keeping everyone organized in terms of files we're getting from the client and also taking a first pass at a lot of the final outputs our client sees mm-hmm. all right so that's that's at the associate level Yes. And, and so then after that comes the associate consultant who is taking one step back from the data is going to be the person who tries to see the bigger picture and help manage the associate's work and in many cases when the project engagement is not a very massive project like the one i've been describing till now required a lot of heavy involvement from any different levels mm-hmm. but if it's a smaller project the associate consultant can even be the face of the project to the client on a day to day basis the one right. sending out emails and updates along with the associate supporting that person and that person is starting to do a bit of people management work as or as i said working with the associate is starting to interface more with the client and that evolves to then the consultant level who tends to be a person who's like the person on the project uh, almost you could say you know last line of defense before something goes to the client many times um the consultant is also the person who's either grown through the organization from an associate to associate consultant to consultant or can be hired externally that's the level at which you could have done an mba and then join cs straight as a business consultant rather than working from an associate ac I see, I see. or associate consultant consultant got it got it got it so generally speaking any project particular project with the client would be headed by the business consultant yes for the most part the most and part. whereas all the other levels that i mentioned the manager associate principal principal they are much more account focused like they have a say in terms of you know the budgets of the project and it's not like the consultant doesn't have any involvement there but for the manager they are accountable for a lot of these things they have a say in terms of hiring and a lot of they're almost measured and tracked on those metrics literally right. in the organization and like many others consulting firms yeah yeah and i'm guessing they are the ones who are also actively looking for new clients and new projects right exactly yeah. exactly okay that makes sense yeah I, i think it's very similar to management consulting it's just the names of the levels are still slightly different but, exactly yeah. yeah like i said lots of similarities yet some differences yeah 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 so generally speaking you can join either after an mba or after your undergrad and the only thing that'll change is the level that you join at exactly that's the main difference i will say though there are people who join at other levels like an example which would be in consulting you do find people join after a phd so they would join as an associate consultant oh really okay i see 
yeah i mean i guess in consulting an mba is valued more than a phd right yeah yeah that's the thing okay i see so and actually you know the what the, the interesting thing that i noticed about your trajectory is that generally speaking what i've seen in management consulting is that if you join after your undergrad then you work in a consulting firm for one or two years and then they literally force you to go and do your mba like you can't just stick around but in right. your case you in your case that's not the case so maybe that's something which is a sort of unique about sales and marketing consulting or so definitely yes you're encouraged to do your mba they have a lot of systems to help sponsor a good portion or all of it mm-hmm. if you decide to rejoin i think for me it was more of a personal decision where i said you know what if i step away and do an mba like i would rather value the real world experience mm-hmm. of doing these projects and i was really enjoying myself yeah. plus i i did have this part where i shifted offices so that also added to i almost had to relearn and grow new oh, client okay. relationships and set up new teams because i did start in our india office over 7 years ago worked a lot with east coast based clients moved over to new jersey after 3-4 years was there for about a year or two and then I moved over to California so as part of that move I feel like I've also learned a lot which I thought at that time well I don't really need to step away and do an MBA I feel like I'm learning so much in terms of people management and project management and working with clients and building relationships that at that point I didn't feel the need but I will say that it is on my um, i am considering at some point maybe i will do a part time mba and there are plenty of people in my company who do that alongside our work yeah yeah of course that's always an option and you know i i don't want to spend a lot of time on it but i know that there are a lot of people who sort of struggle with making this transition in terms of moving from an india based office or some some other country and then move to let's say us or uk or one of these countries and usually that's that's not a very easy thing to pull off and even if you do make the move adjusting to the new culture is not very easy so can you talk a little bit about that like what are the, what are the key things that stand out in your mind which helped you actually make the move and then once you made the move what were the differences that you noticed oh sure yes no i i think it was definitely a process for me as well one thing that definitely helped is almost throughout my time in india i was working with clients on the east coast so i understood how that office worked i before i actually made my move i had traveled at least once or twice for project work to the princeton office there in new jersey mm-hmm. and i knew some folks and i had a network there so that definitely helped but it's not the same as shifting over and working full time and so what i learned over the course of that process is really building a network and support group because what happens is you join a company you're there for a few years you know people people know you they trust you and when you move like it's almost like starting in a new job that like you have to almost start from scratch mm-hmm. and say yes i have to prove myself either to new clients new managers and principals in that office um and as far as the cultural shift or transition went um again i think it helped a lot that i had already been working for clients on the east coast so that was not as much of a cultural shock for me as much as almost just starting over from scratch on some of my projects where i had to build that trust and relationship yeah 
yeah actually you know now that you say it networking is actually paramount in consulting across all kinds of consulting because uh, i think this is where maybe you can talk about how people get staffed on projects yes yes so um it's a great point and something i did want to also bring up because i realized more and more as i've grown older the value of networking maybe mm-hmm. not as much as i realized when i first started working as a yeah. um as far as staffing goes so the way we work is a combination of when you join based on your background and profile you will be assigned a project or a set of projects um depending on how they are set up and the timing um but beyond that then it is a matter of are you interested in the space that you're operating do you like these kind of marketing projects as an example i have done almost entirely marketing projects at pat sales and i soon realized that well you know setting up sales dashboards and like working with sales teams is not something i'm really passionate about like i really enjoy marketing and you know figuring out what's the right positioning for a brand and then thinking about well are these the right messages that you should be sharing or really thinking about uh, what's the right marketing mix or the segmentation of positions that you should be promoting to and so i like those problems more more to me than sales and so i very actively said no i want to keep my focus on marketing i enjoy marketing and it it just helped that i as i was working with different managers and principals they learned to trust my work they said they knew yes you know i would do a good job yeah. we'll put nikla on the next marketing project that i have or the next market research based project because you've done a fair number of these so that's almost informally how i would get staffed from one to the next we of course have a staffer who you know if you've got time and availability will find a right project and fit based on your goals but at the end of the day it is much much better for your longer term growth in any consulting firm if you have that network of managers and principals who are selling and growing business and are looking out for hey you know you want to make this happen in terms of your growth i have these kinds of projects and make that fit work exactly exactly yeah so because i've i've spent some time in management consulting and this is what i realized that you have to have that trust with the people that you want to work with uh, in order to get staffed on those projects Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so um a lot of my time ended up going in this and so I never thought as much about the MBA route, but I will say doing an MBA is great. Um it builds a network beyond your current firm. Like right now my network is very skewed towards just ZS as well as maybe some of my clients, whereas if you do the MBA you would have a network in many other spaces which will will always be helpful. that's a good point. Oh, well, I guess that's a plug for people to go for an MBA anyway, okay? And yes. One thing which I wanted to ask you is that so ZS as you said specializes in sales and marketing consulting primarily for healthcare companies. But is there a lot of difference in the kind of work that you would do depending on whether you're working for a healthcare client or if you're working in some other industry but sales and marketing consulting? I I think for the most part the same holds true a lot of the work I've seen that's not pharma still tends to be a very data rich industry it would be like travel transportation or hospitality um in these spaces even high tech for sure with big data and so therefore as long as you've got access to all this information more or less the same process applies right. you just have different kinds of teams and stakeholders to manage ultimately it's problem solving right so exactly yes yeah. okay 
All right, so now let's get to some of the day-to-day aspects of your job. Then, so like, can you describe a typical day for us? Sure. Um, I think today might be a good day to reflect on. <laughs> uh, let's see. So I usually start my day. I'm trying to start my day earlier these days. So that's more of a recent phenomenon. <laughs> I try to be up somewhere between six and seven, and then. Once I'm ready to log on, I will be checking email on my laptop or my phone, almost triaging because um, I didn't come to this as much previously. But a number of our projects do have cross office involvement, and this is involvement across time zones. Mm-hmm. For the most part, if it is cross office involvement, we do have teams in India. Um, for many reasons, it helps with the time zone. You can literally make work happen overnight, which is just magical. And mm-hmm. I also worked in the India office. Mm-hmm. I totally appreciate it having moved here. Yeah. Um, and the second is also it helps when clients are trying to make trade offs in budgets and so on. So what's the right mix of work? And therefore, it's important for me to log on and check email earlier in the morning in case there were questions that came in over the night. Someone needs to talk to me in the morning. That's not already a scheduled call. Um, yeah. You know, that's all happening somewhere between seven and eight. Usually by eight a.m., I would get on some calls that are pre-scheduled. These are just recurring touch bases with some of my teams to one off. You know, we have one-on-one scheduled with different team members because I might not be in every single team meeting. I have one-on-ones to really talk about people's role and growth and how are they feeling and to plan longer term. Right. Um, a lot of that happens while I'm doing my commute, which is relatively long all the way to office. So that happens between eight and nine mm-hmm. driving phone calls. Oh, yeah. and, so you take meetings yeah. while you're driving? Yeah, yeah, because I have almost a one-hour commute, and this is the best use of that time. I and see. it's and it's great for our India teams to also have the call before they sign off for the day. I see, I see. Okay, all right, and yeah, carry on then. So you, so you're in office by what time then? Uh, usually somewhere between eight and nine. Um, okay. That's when I need to be in office for meetings, and that's not mandatory sometimes there may be a lot of work I need to finish in the morning say a client needs something sent out my team has sent it overnight to me or I get it early in the morning and I might actually just stay back online from home finish reviewing it send it to the client and then drive if I don't really have a meeting as long as I have a phone and laptop a lot of my work can happen I see so are you driving to the client side or are you driving to your like ZS associates office in some ways it's both right now we do have a location that's very close to my client it's literally like 10-15 minutes away and so just headed in the same direction Uh, sometimes I am driving straight to a client meeting and after the client meeting is done I will drive over to the ZS office or the other way around I might be in the ZS office in the morning and then I'm heading over to the client for an afternoon meeting and some days I just stuck back a bunch of client meetings and so I'm all day at the client site going from one meeting to the next working from you know any space I can find in the cafeteria when I get some breaks I see yeah so I guess the reason I asked that is, is that there is an expectation to spend time with the client right so whether you do that on one day and you schedule all your meetings for that day or you spend your entire week at the client side that's up to you yes exactly so definitely there's an expectation uh, we do have meetings but it's not like we are expected to be if there's a project running we have to be at the client site like 
three days a week, five days a week. There are some projects of that sort, but for the most part, that's not the case. It's more as needed. We schedule that time or we plan those in advance and then we go over and we meet. Ah, and you might find more like maybe the managers and principals are there for a lot more meetings and discussions. So invariably they're in at our clients throughout the day. Got it. Got it. So do you also have to travel a lot? Not, not as you would expect in general management consulting. And that's one of the things I like about my job that I don't have to travel a lot. The nice thing for me about ZS is our offices and locations are are by design a function of nearby pharmaceutical biotech companies. It's how it's evolved over time. And so you typically get staffed or you work with clients that are local okay. 90% of the time. Got it. Got it. Okay. So then um, so you get into office by about 9 or 10 and then you're in office doing meetings, doing work the whole day. And then generally by when do you get out? So get out um, is a function of work meetings. Um, if I'm having a reasonably full day, somewhere between five and six, I will wrap up and start driving back again. I've got the long commute. So if I do finish up early, sometimes I'm done with meetings by three or four mm-hmm. and I don't have anything that's pressing to send. I'll try to beat traffic, mm-hmm. get home, and then I might log back on for an hour or two finish up usually by six or seven I pause work for the most part unless there is something really urgent due to the client I will stop work at that point take a break in fact I would say on two days of the week I'm trying for three but at least two days of the work week I have purposely scheduled like personal things I have for example I have a dance class on one day I have a training session on another Uh, like a gym training sessions that ensures I stop work. I plan work such that I can be done at that point and can switch gears. Okay. So you do have, you can schedule time for these kind of personal things during the week. Yes. Yes. Okay. I I definitely can make time. Um, I've not been in the situation where I really make trade-offs, maybe one-off. Yeah. Of course. And and when I have to make the trade-off, it may be more that I will go to my personal event, but then come back, I might work late that one day just so I could accommodate that activity. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. So generally on a day-to-day basis, what are the kind of problems that you run into? Um, I feel like that increases more and more as you become senior and are (laughs) responsible for a lot of projects. (laughs) Um, Let's see. I would say one is just in terms of um, timeline changes. I think that is a big challenge. Sometimes our clients are dealing with a lot of you know moving parts at their end and then we feel the brunt of it because they still need results at the same time but Mm. you know things are getting delayed Mm. for whatever reason i think that's one two more broadly i would say it's just a matter of how do you prioritize right because at a consultant level you are usually working on multiple projects a good four to five i would say Um, in some cases even across different clients i'm lucky that i work with one client across different brands or you could say drugs or medications so it's a little easier for me in terms of mind space and how i plan but some people have clients in different locations even if it is in and around san francisco and so how do you best prioritize where do you make the right trade-offs for that day oh so so you're saying that one person could be working on multiple projects for multiple clients 
it is possible it's relatively mm. rare we do try to have people focus on one client but sometimes people would like to specialize in i i enjoy sales for strategy and i would like to be able to do that across different clients and so that might be a choice and a staffing that they take up i see okay all right so there's a lot of sort of uh, from what you're describing so there's clearly sort of this prioritization that you have to keep working on continuously where to spend your time on and then also these um, because it's a client services model there could be these changes that come in from the client side whether it's it's an, it's in terms of timelines or something else which will obviously yes. have an impact on you yes that for sure i think a lot of it is just prioritization timelines for the most part everything else you might have some challenges in yes figuring out the questions the client is trying to answer trying to solve it in the best way possible hmm. but those are fun challenges like we have lots of experts in in the firm and really smart people so those are all easy to overcome the ones that i mentioned take some effort and <laughs> it's a learning curve yeah 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 so generally speaking in this profession how would you how is the success slash performance assessed so the way i've seen it done in a firm like it's it's a very rigorous process i think it's just consulting they created a pretty intense framework and applied it so there's a competency model where people are evaluated on and there's a spectrum where you know this is how you would be operating if you are more fundamental in terms of your experience on this competency when i say competency it may be things like um analytical abilities or quality or even expertise in a certain space or therapy area or even practice area like to be able to run a project that involves segmentation things like that and there's a relatively long list and that list of competencies that list grows over time as your responsibility increases and in in consulting one thing as you're also aware of like feedback is critical and feedback is a plenty you will as soon as you join people are providing feedback <laughs> after meetings after projects even these three month projects um summarizing it every six months for you in a very detailed rigorous fashion again yeah. there are rating scales on all of these competencies there is a lot of descriptors with examples of you know things that you did really well areas for you to focus on and all of this is discussed at length at an office level and reviewed across the firm also and this all feeds into like promotion decisions and growth in the firm eventually can you maybe share examples of some of the key competencies that people are measured on sure so at a high level <laughs> approach to work as well as the work itself the analysis as well as um, how they communicate is it be it interpersonal communication or written communication and when it comes to the work itself it could be quality analytical ability and problem solving skills when i had said approach to work it, it relates to the kind of initiative you take on projects how are you working with teams um in terms of expertise that i mentioned earlier is expertise on many different fronts but also coming up with creative ideas and solutions as you build more expertise in a space or a practice area or an approach so as i said really long list of competencies and this list only increases because over time competencies relating to client relationships and thinking about business and thinking about how to be a thought partner to clients all those start coming up 
Right. As you become more and more senior, your client relationship skills become more and more important. Absolutely. Right. Again, okay. something that I didn't realize at the outset when I started at CS, but <laughs> I've learned that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in your opinion, what do you think are the most interesting aspects of working in sales and marketing consulting? So, uh, at the heart of it, problem solving, as I said, I've enjoyed that even from the Mensa and puzzle solving piece to even now. Mm-hmm. It's it's a lot of fun when clients come to us with a problem that they're struggling to solve and then we as a team come up with answers and recommendations and implications that there is no beating that excitement even if the process may be a little intense in phases till we figure out how to do it. I think the second is working with teams. I find that um, we have really amazing people to you know bounce ideas off and like I find that we that we come up with something even better as a team than had I just put my mind to it and so that I really enjoy coming up with different ways to work as a team better come up with ideas even sourcing from different experts within the firm and adding more value to our clients and also we learning the process so I would say a lot of it is working with amazing teams and then what aspects do you find the most challenging? I mean, I, I know you mentioned managing time is a big one, but um, anything else? <laughs> yeah, so I think managing time. The second also is just in terms of the hours at times. You also know this from consulting, I'm sure there are these peaks and troughs and those peaks can be hard, especially if you didn't anticipate it. I think we all know when we plan a project out, you know, right when we're close to finalizing the project and there are lots of meetings, things will be intense. But sometimes plans change and can change quite a bit depending on the client and situation. And when that happens, like it's hard because you might not have planned your other projects around it. So things may get just really crazy for you at that point. And then you need to just manage that for a week or two, a month, and it all settles and you figure it out. And then also like on a personal front, then that's hard because you didn't really plan for being that busy and something's got uh-huh. to give. So you probably don't get as much time at home. And how do you manage that? Mm-hmm. Setting expectations at home or finding backup plans too. All right, I'll do the laundry probably all on the weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, have you seen uh, people make any common mistakes early on in their careers in, in this profession? Um, I think one mistake which happens very rarely I would say but it is critical to make sure you don't do this is just getting approaching your work in the right way like when you enter something like consulting it is a very almost like prize thing to get an opportunity to work in because many people approach consulting as this is my stepping stone to get into MBA it is very competitive and therefore, the interview process is also fairly rigorous. And as a result, you get some really smart people. But then if those smart people don't know how to approach, like this is their very first job or, you know, they don't know how to really go about navigating certain difficult situations because it's not like on day one we can coach every associate on everything. It's going to take some time and people will falter and fumble in the process and will, you know, will give feedback, will be happy to coach and guide people through the process but the more that you're able to spend some time understand what is consulting if at all possible do an internship so you see it inside out 
learn from people and be, you know best practices things you know you know how do you be more proactive on these projects and you know what's the right attitude to bring and how can i bring new ideas like having that right mindset almost about this when you don't do that in your initial couple of months like it's so hard to recover because you know people already have formed opinions about you um to your point earlier sonali you were talking about networking and you know if people already have a perception that oh you may not be able to get this done right even as an associate getting quality right and the right data and outputs and you're very thorough about your work if that's not quite happening people will quickly decide maybe you're not a good fit for my project and pass you over <clears throat> that that that's a great point so what you're saying is that when you're before getting into this profession first of all have a good idea about what it is and what you're getting into and then from day 1 you have to have you have to basically have your a game on because people will be forming opinions about you your work and that will determine the kind of projects you get staffed on who you get to work with that sort of thing right and i'm not making this sound so dramatic that okay you know if you make one mistake it's the end of your career in consulting yeah. <laughs> we all we all learn from our mistakes and you know it's part of the learning process but it's also important to recognize that you know a lot of people have try to get experience many people schedule all these informational interviews like i get these requests to talk about what is zs what is consulting mm-hmm. before they even start interviewing with zs and so they have a pretty good sense of what zs is looking for what's the process like even before they they send in their resume right so so and that is the kind of homework that you would recommend candidates should do absolutely i think um everyone these days will do their homework in terms of reading about the company online reading online references like linkedin and glassdoor those are all available and handy but i i think the most valuable thing are is to talk to people who are in the firm who have been with the firm and maybe moved something else if you are even planning a longer term career trajectory so um i mean so now that you mention it i did want to ask you which is that Let's say there's a student who is interested in consulting but he or she doesn't really know anyone who is in that profession. How do you recommend that they reach out to strangers on let's say LinkedIn? So LinkedIn is a good resource I would say it is almost like cold calling so part of it is just a numbers game you have to reach out to 10 people and hope that one will respond so don't give up. I would say that's one if you're reaching out through LinkedIn um the second might be if you have any other it could be LinkedIn groups although I've not personally tried it but maybe you might be able to reach out on a LinkedIn group for consultants or a right space where students are searching for consulting jobs similarly if there's anything in terms of meetups for um, job searches or if there is even like some sort of conference or discussion locally where you can try and reach out any common connection any place where you find like all these consultants would need um as an example in the healthcare space the there's a hpa i get what it stands for now it's healthcare business association i might not be getting the expansion right okay. but it is um it is an association pretty cheap to join it's probably i want to say 20 30 bucks for a membership and they have meetups for women throughout the year and that's what i have been recently exploring like should i sign up and start meeting with people that might be a good place to start if you know oh, healthcare consulting is something up your alley 
I would say beyond just going with LinkedIn and email, in-person meetups, conferences, anything of that sort. But I only have HBA to offer. I don't know of other consulting meetups that happen where students might be able to gain access. This is very helpful. So th- this uh, this HBA has uh, chapters around the country. Yes, yes, they do, and they definitely have one in San Francisco. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah, that would be very helpful. I think for students to know. Okay. All right. So now we'll get to some questions uh, from the point of view of anyone who may be interested in exploring this field. So what kind of person, in your opinion, do you think would really enjoy himself or herself in sales and marketing consulting? So I think reflecting on what I enjoy a whole lot, it would definitely be problem solving, Mm -hmm. very analytical. That's at the core of our work. So that would be key. But beyond that, I would say someone who's articulate, comfortable explaining details, concepts, and as well as both interpersonal and written communication. I think that's very key in our work because it's one thing to do the work right and you know come up with the perfect answer. It's another thing to communicate it to a client in a way that they understand it, their bigger and broader team understands it, and you're able to equip the client to also share it internally and take it forward. So for me, those are the two like most critical aspects. I see, I see. And generally, like um, because this is sales and marketing consulting in healthcare, do you need to have a background in, let's say, biotech or something? It's it's nice to have. It definitely helps um, lend credibility to yourself almost when you're introducing yourself to a client. It may make you more comfortable with sometimes pretty technical terminology that may be thrown around. Uh, having said that, I've seen enough people come with an economics major or an arts major to ZS and have done really well. And they've become, you know, principals, like we are principals with PhDs in um, literally rocket science or like aerospace uh-huh. engineering, yeah, yeah, multiple. Yeah. Okay. And they have known nothing about biotech or the industry till they joined ZS. I see. So it's more of a nice to have. It's more of a nice to have, really. Okay. In hindsight, do you think that there's something that you'd wish you'd known when you started out? Uh, So one is reflecting on what we talked about, which is the importance of networking. I was fairly naive when Mm -hmm. I joined. I said, okay, ZS consulting seems great. Um, And I, I, I didn't realize at that time the importance of really cultivating my network. Like it's one thing to connect with people and they learn to trust you. You learn to trust them and you think, yes, you know, you'll be a good fit for project work or maybe they're helpful in future work. Who knows? Um, But how do you stay in touch? Even for me as an example, I've moved so many different locations and offices and it's not that I've always actively said, yes, you know, let me have a reminder, you know, even it's once a quarter, once in six months to just drop a note to this person or this old client that I used to work with and just say hi and see how things are going. That's interesting. So how do you stay in touch? Um, so ideally, I would like to have something like almost a CRM, like a relationship manager to manage this. But with in the absence of that, at least have reminders on my calendar to reach out to people, maybe for birthdays, like those are saved on my calendar so I can reach out and say, happy birthday, how are things going? Oh, wow. Okay. So, and you do do that now? I do that. It's it's not perfect. Mm, I could be reaching out more. I sometimes let work take over and I say, oh, well, I'll reach out to them and eventually they're not missing me. <laughs> 
so you, you do you use some sort of crm to help you do this frankly i've been trying a lot of tools out there <laughs> like trials nothing has stuck just yet i have literally been trying this over the last month okay. um if you know something let me know <laughs> no i don't think i think i i use facebook for this <laughs> or actually linkedin also gives you for this now but that is yes. the extent of my work in this area but but this this is a very good idea i think this is something which i should do and definitely people who are listening something to think about yes i mean beyond just and, and also when i say networking network not only within your firm but also figure out ways to broaden and diversify your network you never know when it will be useful and it could be through having some sort of meetups people try to also have you know peers in related spaces or you have some commonalities you could literally bounce ideas off each other you might learn from each other you may eventually one day decide oh i want to switch out of this and switch into what they're doing so really keep that in mind even though now you may be really passionate and interested in doing consulting yeah 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 no that's very good advice and uh, let's say that you know there's a student who listens to your podcast and says that okay you know what i think this sounds interesting but i'm not sure yet or i, I want to sort of figure out if i will be good at this before i actually take the plunge how would you help them decide or what what would you recommend they do um, i would say two things one is definitely try and find again through maybe the painstaking linkedin linkedin reach out to people and talk to folks who have done this before mm-hmm. or see if you can reach out to some senior senior some connection somewhere that's would be one but two is also try to get your hands on case studies that are used and these are readily available on most consulting websites try and take some of those and just take a crack at it and see if you enjoy that process like do you enjoy the situation where a business problem is thrown at you and you need to come up with a way to put a framework around it and solve it and that might give you some inkling as to hmm does this feel right for me oh interesting so you can just go to the various consulting firms websites get some case studies and see if you enjoy solving them exactly i i would start there if you have no idea you've never heard of this before no that that's a great idea and um uh, are there any other sales and marketing consulting firms that you're aware of other than gs associates uh not really and i feel like that's been by design I, in fact res- recently gs did positioning work on itself which is interesting <laughs> just a theory yeah. and and one of the reasons why they have kept that sales and marketing is simply because there's no other firm that focuses on the full spectrum of sales and marketing and so that's their unique positioning in the market oh, as a boutique okay. firm oh very cool okay so this is pretty much the only one that is at least of of a sizable number of yes. employees yeah okay. i mean like globally with you know 20 offices plus yeah. 4000 plus people is pretty big and i <clears throat> i don't know of any others which focus exclusively on sales and marketing i see okay so what are the interviews like so the interviews are very case interview focused the interviews will consist of some initial rounds where it will involve behavioral interview type questions situations you know things where you had faced some challenges or you know tackled some problems and how you went about that to 
something more practical where you'll get a case with some data and nothing so complicated that you need a calculator or a laptop, but simple enough that you're able to use that data to come up with a recommendation or solution or answer these new questions. So the case, there are many cases over the course of many phases of the interview. The cases just keep getting bigger and bigger as you get to the final round. Does Yes Associates recruit only from... Is it happening only from colleges or can you also apply otherwise? You can also apply otherwise. It's not just through uh, university recruiting, although that's a large chunk of the recruitment that happens. Okay. Uh, we definitely have people who join laterally, as we call it. So what's the best way to apply? Um, best way is for sure through a referral it's much better just because you have someone internal who can always keep tracking your application, who will get updates automatically from HR and can just, you know, follow up and lend some credibility because eventually they might be reached out to, to provide some input over the course of the process. Yeah. Um, in the absence of that, online applications are great as well. I have never seen an issue with people applying online and eventually being considered. It's not like there's a lot of slowdown in that process. I see. I see. Okay. So it's it's not a it's not like if you apply online, there's no chance at all. No, no, not at all. I, I've seen our HR do a great job of like getting through applications and giving a response. I see. Okay. And then given the highly competitive nature of the market, right? How would you recommend candidates stand out both both at the resume stage when they're trying to get shortlisted and then in the interview itself? So I would say in the resume stage, if you do have, and you are interested in CS for healthcare consulting, maybe if you have interest in other spaces like high tech, so on, tailor your resume accordingly. If it's healthcare, for sure, highlight that experience. That's definitely given some uh, weightage because you can always use that over the course of this. And it demonstrates that you have interest in the space from before. But let's say you don't have any background in you know any of these fields. In which case, then, uh, I would say you should just show examples in your resume of if you've done internships or even as part of schooling, either leadership roles. And within those leadership roles, even if it's not necessarily a leadership role, it could be as part of your internship. You tackled some interesting business problems. You answered some questions. It's just a matter of framing it in a way that matches the kind of work that we would do in a consulting project, like, you know, there was this question or you realized there was this issue you figured out a way to solve it and you proposed it and it resulted in x impact maybe it just saved some time in a certain process or you know you were able to make a difference in terms of changing the way the entire team or the school team who knows approaches things okay so do you have any resources that you think will be helpful for anyone who is either interested in learning more about this space or is interested in applying? So I would say in terms of the interview prep itself, I found some things useful. One is case in point. It's the book to go to, to reference cases. Um, and maybe you might know more, Sonali. Uh, this <laughs> is the one that I've used long ago and still have seen people use. Yeah, no, I, I use the same one. <laughs> <laughs> and the second one I would say also in terms of case prep is uh, Victor Cheng. Uh, you easily find a lot of his videos online and he's even more and this is not like I, I'm 
I have no incentive whatsoever in mentioning his name. Yeah. It's just it's a resource I found a lot yeah. of people found useful, and that's why you should definitely check that out. Yeah, I've um, seen people use his videos. I oh, think he, he's an ex McKinsey consultant, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I found his he, the nice thing about it versus any other case interview prep materials that I've seen is that he gives you a nice comprehensive framework which you can build on. um and add some more of your own thinking to but it's fairly comprehensive and in the stressful situation that interviews are you don't want to be missing out on something big in a case oh, yeah 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 absolutely <laughs> okay all right no this is extremely extremely helpful nikhila is there anything else any sort of parting advice you'd like to share with someone who might be considering this role so in this may be even more general advice um i was just reflecting some more on the question what i wish i'd known earlier in my career so one was the networking piece and maybe closely related to it is also figuring out your career mentors and coaches both mm. um and it could be when you're in school just finding a senior someone who's like 3 years ahead of you in what you're hoping to do in the future 5 years 10 years trying to figure out who those people are maybe track them down on linkedin try and reach out hopefully you'll be able to make a connection somewhere because that takes some time and effort to build and um, like it's even for me like later on i realized oh i should probably have someone who can be more objective about my career and my career trajectory and like what should i be doing differently it's something's really hard to make that assessment yourself and so which is where having mentors to help you coach like coach you on a more day to day basis and then maybe even almost like a professional coach or someone to help you think longer term about your career keep those at the back of your mind even if you're just starting out yeah no i i think that is very very good advice Yes, yes. And that's where I feel like consulting automatically gives you that when you work on pretty intense tough problems closely with people like you over the course of time automatically develop those relationships and mentors. Yeah. And so it's it's a great advantage. There's also a bit of a disadvantage where you're not necessarily working with the same person all the time throughout. And right. so maybe you're not able to make that long-term connection stick. So be conscious of that. You should try and have. I feel like it's been valuable when I had it, and I felt the gap when I didn't have that long-term mentor around. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, all right. Thank you so much, Nicola. This was wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Sonali. This is great, and help me reflect on all the seven years and more of this. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a ride. <laughs> okay. All right, take care. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was Nikhila with a very nice and detailed account of what is it like to work in sales and marketing consulting. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion and found it helpful. And of course, if you have any questions at all for Nikhila or for me, you can email us at learneducatediscover@gmail.com. You can also tweet at us. Our Twitter handle is at @led_curator. Of course, if you really enjoy what we're doing and enjoy listening to our episodes, you can subscribe to the show. You can find us on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher. We are available on all three. Simply search for Learn, Educate, Discover and hit subscribe. And the good thing about subscribing is that when you subscribe to a podcast, every new episode appears like magic on your phone. So go ahead, hit subscribe and while you're at it, please leave us a review. It only takes a minute. 
and it means a lot. You can also find us on Facebook. Our Facebook page is at facebook.com forward slash learn, educate, discover. And if you like the page, you can start getting all the updates on the great content that we are putting together for you guys. And as always, show notes from today's episode will be posted to our blog. You can find our blog at medium.com forward slash at LED underscore curator. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. And until the next one, take care, be well, adios.